Midlands Today on Midlands 183 with O'Brien's Mullingar. It's official Westmeath. No county loves Renault more. P.O.Brien.ie When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Well, good morning. Happy Friday. Did you ever have one of those weeks where you just don't sleep right? And you get to Friday and you're practically powered by caffeine. So here we go. Let's have fun this morning. Coming up today, as the government sets out its climate action plan, a Midlands farmer says his solar energy project can't get a grid connection. Talk about theory and practice. A local animal welfare charity says five kittens are lucky to be alive. You'll hear what happened. Our Friday panel debates all the big stories of the week and you've a big chance to get involved and hopefully you will over the next three hours on 083 30 10 103, whatever's affecting you or your area on text or WhatsApp. And of course you can pick up the phone, have a chat, do it the old-fashioned way on 0818 300 103. What is on the front pages this morning? We're going back a few years on the front of the Irish Independent and you see the photographs of Captain Dara Fitzpatrick, Captain Mark Duffy, winch operator Paul Ormsby and winchman Kieran Smith, the crew of rescue helicopter 116 who tragically lost their lives. It's now four years ago. But the final investigation report was published yesterday and in what will be some relief to their families, the crew has been completely exonerated of any blame for the tragedy. The headline says, Report finds actions of crew not a factor in the crash. Moving to the Daily Star. This is not one if you've recently had your cornflakes. Killer tried to behead woman. This is relating to a story in Dublin, a 999 call yesterday in which a man said he had beheaded his partner. She took my heart, so I took her head, he told the Gorthy. That just sends a chill. Moving to the Irish Times, climate action plan. You're going to hear a lot about this. Probably for years to come, but certainly it is the political story of the moment. Just how much will you be paying for the adjustment in life, in business, in society that world leaders agree must happen over the next nine years to 2030? So, 475 actions are in this plan. I'm not going to bore you with all 475, but... It's going to cost 125 billion euro, the majority of which, it says, will be borne by individuals, households and the private sector. So you're looking at 500,000 homes being retrofitted. You're looking at one million electric cars on the road. We've had this before. This is just a rehash of previous pledges. They're talking about extensive offshore wind power. Well, newsflash. We're going to hear in under an hour from a man who has secured planning permission for a solar farm, but he can't get a grid connection. The left hand 
and the right hand, does one know what the other is doing? We'll be back to that. Now, elsewhere in your papers, local property tax. The deadline was Sunday, and this would be the first revaluation in, gosh, eight years. And revenue says, as of Monday last, just over four out of ten property owners had filed returns. Now, it's two-thirds. So there's been a surge in the last couple of days, and they've decided to extend the deadline ahead of this Sunday, out as far as next Wednesday. 5pm next Wednesday. I think they might have shot themselves in the foot a little bit uh, because when you consider this late surge, they said you must value your home as it stood on the 1st of November. Did you wait until the 1st of November, therefore, before sending it in? Anyway, you've an extra couple of days is the bottom line there. Now, from the COVID corner, mercifully, there's very little in the papers about COVID-19 today. Touch wood, that continues. But one article from the Irish Independent details research in the Journal of Nature that you will be more vulnerable to COVID if you catch flu or suffer a cold this winter. Which is probably not a big surprise. Whenever you have an infection of just about any sort, it'll weaken your immune system. And anyway, the case is being made by Dr. Colin Henry, the HSE's chief clinical officer, that if you can get the flu jab this winter, that you will be better off doing so. Now, this is a very sensitive story, the death of Anna Kriagel. And you'll recall the trial, boy A, boy B, both called that because they were underage and couldn't be identified. But one mum said she was... So outraged, she regarded it as very, very wrong that they be protected by the court when Anna Creagel was not protected. And so Hazel Fitzpatrick posted a screenshot on Facebook of a photograph identifying the boy, the boy A, when he was convicted of murder. And it has taken the last three years, anyway, to bring her to court and because it, it technically is against the law, if, if the court has decided that they must be not be identified, then they must not be identified. And so the 25-year-old woman said it was the biggest mistake she has ever made in her life. The court was told she acted out of pure anger and that at times she has become almost reliant and addicted to social media. We'll see what outcome happens in court and let's withhold our comment until then but I'm not sure too many people would go hard on her being angry in a situation like that is is certainly understandable I'm not saying it justifies defying the court but it would be hard as a human being not to feel your blood pressure going up in a situation like that now the CAO website is getting a change and the CAO traditionally is the route into college and not everybody fancies that academic journey. An apprenticeship might suit you better. So, thankfully, this is a very welcome development. They've decided to list apprenticeships and college courses under a one-stop shop website. So if you go to the CAO from now on, you'll have 
access to some of the apprenticeships available in your area. That's a nice change. Puts them on a par. About time too. From the world of showbiz, Tiger King. Joe Exotic, or to give him his real name, Joseph Maldonado Passage. A man who shot to global fame last year. Do you remember the start of the lockdown, the first lockdown? Tiger King became the national obsession. Well, he was sentenced to 22 years in prison last year after being convicted for violating federal wildlife laws, but more seriously, a failed murder-for-hire plot involving the other big character in that series, Carl Baskin. Well, it turns out Joe, behind bars, has had a diagnosis of cancer, and he says it's a very aggressive type of cancer. So... Whether he gets any leniency on that basis remains to be seen. But if you're hoping there will be a sequel, there will be another day for Joe Exotic, well, he has more immediate challenges ahead. A good news story, though, as we reported earlier this week, the discovery of four-year-old Cleo Smith, who had gone missing in Western Australia. You can imagine the stress and the worry and the heartache on her parents as she disappeared from a campsite. To be found, thank heavens, to be found just over two weeks later. The police yesterday released the audio from when she was recovered. But they also arrested and brought to court a 36-year-old man, Terence Darrell Kelly. And this becomes quite sordid and surreal. The court heard how he loved taking his dolls for drives. Police are not saying very much about The dolls that were recovered at the time of Cleo's discovery, it's a matter that still goes before the courts. All they have said is when they found her, the lights were on and she was playing with toys. Well, there's more to this and probably it'll be very uncomfortable listening as the case evolves. Finally, though, something that would be easier on the ear, ABBA's new album, the first in 40 years, is out today and the reviews are very positive. We'll just take one from the Irish Times. It says, exquisitely familiar songs from one of the greatest groups of all time. If there was any change to be detected, it's just that the voices have come down an octave or two. They're not quite reaching the high notes they did back in the 1970s. But otherwise, it's recorded in a very familiar style. And also you hear the breaths and you hear the little clicks in the voices and things that these days are edited out. So it's quite an authentic album. And thumbs up from many of the reviews I've seen today. But obviously, if you're an ABBA fan, make your own judgment and let me know when you clap ears on the finished product. Brian in Leash wonders if revenue assumes that you must have access to the internet. Does the country as a whole have this connection? Yeah, it's a fair question because there is a certain reliance on the revenue website to get your return in on time and to therefore use their tool, which will look at your area, look at your air code and say, well, here's the band that most properties are in. But if you want to do it the old fashioned way, yes, the deadline for the letter or for the online has been extended to next Wednesday. Um, On 083 30 10 103, Will... 
I sent a link on WhatsApp yesterday. Oh, this is from PJ Delaney in Portleash, who's very keen to win the talent contest being run on the Leinster Express at the moment. PJ, we gave you a mention earlier in the week. I hope you get through, sir. Uh, and indeed to all those who are entering as well. Now, a few people have been asking, what happens if you haven't received a letter concerning your local property tax? Francis, I see you in particular in the Clara area. Your neighbours have all got them. You haven't. My suggestion is take ownership of it. Call revenue directly. There is a phone number specifically for local property tax inquiries. If you haven't got a pen and paper handy, I will repeat it for you. So that number is Dublin 01 738 3626. Dublin 01 738 3626. So call them. I'm sure they'll be able to walk you through the process, whatever is involved. Best of luck with it. Now, theory and practice. We'll get to the theory in a moment of the government's climate action plan. But in practice, after 10, you'll meet a farmer from County Offaly who for the last five years has had planning permission for a solar farm, but he hasn't built it because they cannot get a grid connection. And if solar is such an important part of the mix, along with wind energy, onshore or offshore, well, the theory will have to be put into practice. Let's get more information now in, about this €125 billion euro plan. Pat O'Toole is political correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal. Good morning, Pat. Morning. Much of this we'll have heard before. For instance, a plan to put a million electric cars on Irish roads by 2030. What's new in the plan? Well, I think it's the level of detail. It's over 200 pages. I'm still wading through it myself, uh, released yesterday evening at 4pm by the three party leaders, the Taoiseach, uh, the Tánaiste, and I suppose the line minister, Eamon Ryan, who uh, a lot of this falls to. Um, and uh, the level of ambition is very high. Uh, the sectoral targets are now defined, and I think that is uh, going to concentrate minds hugely. Uh, we now... Everyone knows their role uh, within their sector, and uh, the uh, the challenge is then to find the the pathways uh, to achieve the reductions that are required. And you know, in some cases they're reasonably obvious; in others they aren't. And just like your previous comment, uh, you asked about solar. I specifically asked the three uh, the three ministers about uh, solar in relation to planning forestry in relation to planning uh, wind energy we lost a big offshore investor uh, yesterday because of uh, because of planning delays the uh, there are hundreds of solar projects um, some of which have grid connection and are awaiting planning many of which have planning and are awaiting grid connection and many of which are just are stuck in the planning system um, hoping for both and and having neither uh, and many hundreds uh, there was 271 in 2017. I think it could be up around 600 now in solar applications in the system. And that's not micro-generation, which many farms and indeed many small businesses and homes could achieve, where uh, there are now incentives for micro-generation. And at last, uh, micro-generators for the small solar uh, panels, uh, you know, on the roof of a building. Um, 
any surplus electricity that they create to surplus to the needs of of the building um, will now go into the grid and be paid for. Up till now, they've been going into the grid but unpaid, which reduced the incentive to go ahead and, and develop solar. So we are taking some steps, uh, but there's a huge job of work ahead. Indeed. Well, look, there are many engineering and financial questions around that, which we'll spare for now. Michal Martin made an overall comment saying that people would have to accede to a profound change in lifestyle over the coming decade. Can you paint a picture of what that might look like? Well, I think we can be very specific about the Midlands because of the Midlands has been the most affected region to date and because uh, of uh, the effective loss of, of the peat industry. And of course, uh, agriculture is extremely important to the sector and um, there's a huge ask of agriculture. While the sectoral targets are lower, uh, it's 22 to 30%. The KPMG report, which the Farmers Journal Commission then we published last week, and indeed the Climate Change Advisory Council's own um, uh, analysis, uh, impact analysis, uh, as released in their report, which came out the previous Monday, um, suggests that there's a huge difference between 22 and 30%. Uh, 22% is feasibly within reach. We can get to 17, 18% by adapting the current technologies on every farm, which is a big ask. Uh, there's a huge range of farmers, 120,000, but we can get there. But once you get into the 20s and once you move up uh, past 25%, you're putting into the flesh of uh, farming in terms of output and jobs uh, and and as you get to 30%, you're starting to cut into the bone. That's just the reality. But there is a specific um, uh, chapter of this uh, implementation plan devoted to the Midlands with 15 uh, stated goals uh, for the region. And um, I think, you know, it, uh, I think it's recognition of the fact that the Midlands has taken the biggest hit so far. They highlight just transition fund projects like a Green HQ in Offaly, a Climate Action and Green Enterprise off uh, a centre in Kilcormack, uh, a Green Energy Park uh, on the site of the former road power station, a Midlands retrofit one-stop shop, um, which will be across all eight counties of the wider Midlands region, um, providing a one-stop shop for deep retrofits, which will be encouraged by uh, by government. Um, they're talking about low interest loans and incentives towards uh, low carbon um, uh, retrofits for houses where they will have heat systems that are carbon neutral and non-fossil fuel heat systems in short and, uh, and insulation. So, Are they um, trying to turn the Midlands into some sort of exemplar for the rest of the country? Well, I think it's an acknowledgement that having taken the biggest hit, it's the, it's the region that needs the most support. Um, whether whether it will be an exemplar or not, uh, a digital learning hub in Longford Town as well, and I mean uh, quite a range of goals. So uh, it, I, I think um, that at the very least, uh, it, it is an acknowledgement uh, of of the hit that the region has taken. And I suppose similarly with agriculture, um, there is an acknowledgement that 22 to 30 percent is a much lower sectoral target than transport. And energy, which have fifty and eighty percent, which are huge targets. But um, even if we take the lower the of those at twenty-two percent, Pat, what measures mm-hmm. will be required to get there? Well, uh, we can get to thirteen to eighteen percent by doing all the things that uh, won't impact uh, particularly on output or 
on uh, uh, on output or on income, uh, such as massive reduction in the amount of chemical nitrogen that will be used, uh, especially in terms of the type of uh, nitrogen we use uh, predominantly can in Ireland for many historical reasons, calcium ammonium nitrate, reducing, switching that to what's known as protected urea will actually benefit the environment significantly. <coughs> uh, we need low emission slurry spreading where the slurry is injected into the ground or put it just on the surface with trailing shoe. And what that means is that the, uh, the uh, slurry is taken into the soil and there's less release of, uh, of nutrients into the atmosphere. Uh, increased technical efficiency in both the beef and the sucker herd um, uh, with ambitions around, you know, the way farmers uh, manage their herds to achieve maximum efficiency. They're talking about reducing the uh, the average age of slaughter of animals from 27 to 24 months, which obviously if an animal is living uh, le- less time on the planet, uh, it, it's emitting less methane. Um, a huge increase in organics, from 74,000 to 350,000 hectares in organics. Um, and then the uh, encouragement of uh, bioenergy um, and of uh, anaerobic digesters, which like solar um, are have been, you know, uh, underutilized. Uh, there's been mixed messaging from government and uh, missed opportunities. Mm. So Can we talk about the size of, that, of the herd, though? Because that's been sensitive in discussions yeah. of late, and farmers, particularly in the dairy sector, have invested and were encouraged to increase the size of the herd with the abolition of quotas. Are they now being told to do a U-turn? Um, what the government is still talking about uh, up till the beginning of this week was a stable herd not a, a cut in the herd, but we need to stabilise the herd. And that was across the board. That was Pippa Hackett. That was even Eamon Ryan, who would have talked about cuts to the herd previously. But the, the language being used this week is to maintain the level of output um, from Irish farming without getting into the specifics of whether that's herd reduction, herd increase, uh, whether that's the same amount of milk from less cows or the same amount of meat from less cattle. Uh, whether we switch to dairy beef and reduce the suckler herd. Very hard to draw Minister McConlogue out on that. He wasn't present at the at the launch yesterday. He was actually on his feet in the doll. Uh, the fur farming bill is being debated, but I had a chance to catch up with him last night. And it's something that he, he's not being drawn on. The Taoiseach called the conversation around the national herd an obsession and uh, something that we need to move past. But the reality is that... Um, all uh, all of the uh, of the increase in carbon in farming uh, over the last uh, 12 years since 2010 we had been on a downward trajectory and now we're on an upward trajectory year to year and the reason is dairy expansion but as you rightly say farmers were encouraged uh, to to expand their herds uh, the processors were encouraged to expand their processing capacity uh, even still the government uh, well particularly the the Taunishta and at times the Taoiseach have been supportive uh, openly of Glambia's plans to develop a cheese plant uh, which is being brought now to the Supreme Court in relation to the planning and the implications for the environment of uh, the extra milk that will be required for that plant. Uh, so like, the government is behind dairy and be, has been behind dairy expansion. And it, the problem we have is that you can't keep expanding dairying without now cutting the sucker herd, if you're talking about a stable herd, which sets farmer against farmer. And we've seen in the current cap debate, when you pitch farmer against farmer, it's tough. Mm. 
We can read more in the Irish Farmers Journal. Pat O'Toole, thank you very much. You're very welcome. 5th of November, countdown to Christmas, and at this time of year, fraudsters always prosper. They only need a few people to fall victim to make a profit. So, Gore, they are launching a new campaign to help you and indeed businesses avoid falling victim to online fraud. Dermot Jewell is policy advisor with the Consumers Association of Ireland. Dermot. It's a conversation we keep repeating, but they keep using the same tricks. What are the main pitfalls to avoid? Good morning. Morning, Will. Yeah, you're right. We keep revisiting it. The main pitfalls, um, I suppose, the, the starting point is if you can at all, is try to, to, if you're going to buy online, try to use websites that you're so familiar with, that you trust um, that 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 you know if if you've never even been on a website that you know are reputable sellers um, that other people recommend to you and the reason for that is that there there are a very significant number of of, of websites out there that for example will have a dot ie um, handle to them if you want to call it that which suggests that they are Irish based. And that's not always the case because it is, it's not illegal to have that and trade elsewhere. Yeah, you're just buying often. the domain ultimately. That's exactly it. So they buy it and they use it and it can be, it, it, it can be used um, fairly. But to, to, to ask, the key that you need to ascertain is who you're dealing with and where they're based. And to do that, um, check on, on any website. That there's always a section that says about us or how contact details for us. Just check on, click on that and see exactly where, where their postal address is so that if something goes wrong, you have to contact them. That's the first one. And it gives you an indication. If it's a legitimate address, then that's fine. You can, you can easily check that further. The other, other element that you need to go out and look at is that you're trying to ascertain that you're dealing with a secure website. So at the beginning of every website address are four letters which go HTTP. And what you need to see on every website you're dealing with is an S following that. So in other words, HTTPS. And S standing S for secure. Stands for secure, mm. exactly. And below that you will generally find as well particularly from a registered, well-organized um, and appropriate website, a padlock symbol um, down below that, which shows again that it has got, it is registered, it has got an address that you can you can go and deal with and, and trust. Um, Something I've noticed, Dermot, and you can tell me how common this is, when you're on social media and you're looking through your news feed, there can be an ad that pops up and usually it's got a very compelling offer and you click on it and it appears to be the brand that you think it is, but then actually if you look closer at the URL or do a bit of digging around, it can be an imposter website. How common is that? It's very common. It's all too common, and that's probably the key issue. Um, when I say look at a familiar website, I have to be honest, you may have a difficulty because you have to look very closely. There are very professional people out there using very professional counterfeit websites where they sell counterfeit goods and fake goods, um, and they will be on. Now, you will... In, there's one or two things will happen. You will get some goods, but they're probably cheap knockoffs, to use the expression. Or you will have a site that is doing its damnedest to get your money and give you nothing. So 
look for those signs that we say the HTTPS, look for the lock sign, but also look at anything in any way that suggests it's it's not correct. And usually you will see some form of a, a spelling error um, or you won't see an address that makes any logical sense to you. And most importantly, one of the key issues is when it comes down to delivery. If If it's anything over two days or three days, um, in realistic terms, then it's it's certainly not going to be local, and it's not going to be Irish-based. If it's anything more than seven to ten working days, check a little further and check a little deeper. And then most importantly, what is key is how they ask you to pay them. Generally, the recommendation is if you have one, try to pay by credit card. Um, it's by far the best, and I'll explain why. We have a Sale of Goods and Supplier Services Act for many, many years, since 1980. And in that act, old as it is, it actually provides that where you use a third party, which is a credit card company, to pay for something on your behalf, which is what happens with a credit card company, they pay and you pay them, they're, they're an ally. They they help protect you. You can contact them and say, I need that stopped. I think I have a problem. I don't trust the site. And there's time to stop it because it can take up to 50 days for the payment to issue to that site. Mm. Do you have so the same protection it's, it's with debit help. cards? You don't, unfortunately, because debit cards are instant. It's, it's the same as using cash. Um, it instantly comes out of your bank account. And sellers particularly rogue sellers will know that. And that's why you need to also check, as I say, I know I'm saying a lot here, but they're very basic, straightforward things. Come back again to looking at the contact details and the terms and conditions. How do you contact them if there's a problem? What are their terms in terms of a refund? Um, and again, you'll know if, if, if it's particularly, there's a, there's a serious problem in terms of now trying to understand have you got a 14-day cooling off period or not. In simple terms, Yes, you have, only if you're buying within the EU. And it needs to be understood, the UK are outside of the EU now, so you don't have a 14-day cooling-off period, and you don't have a simple right to just return it and expect a refund. Dermot, always great talking with you. We may be saying the same things, but people keep falling for them, so therefore you can never repeat it often enough. Thanks for your time. Take care. Dermot Jewell from the Consumers Association of Ireland. Uh, a listener has commented on is the ads that appear in your newsfeed for this great item usually are more expensive than if you go to the website directly. Yeah, it's not necessarily fraud or a scam, but it's sharp sales practice. They put a very tempting ad in front of you and they present it as a great deal, but when you do your homework, it's not. Um, yeah, just be wise. Due diligence always to be advised. Now, on the way. Theory and practice. So we've got a great climate action plan. 400 commitments, 125 billion euro to deliver it, all the rest. But if you can't build a solar farm after five years, what's gone wrong? Good morning. Still on the agenda today. The government promises more money in your pocket next year. But a top accountant has his doubts. He's here after 11. Five kittens lucky to be alive after being rescued in Longford. Find out why in 10 minutes' time. And we ask the Friday panel how the Leaving Cert could be made better if they could afford the average home. And we'll recap all the rest of the week's big news. Now, the new Climate Action Plan promises more solar energy farms. 
but here's why that might be easier said than done. I'd like you to meet David Connor from Clara in County Offaly, who was given planning permission for such a project five years ago. David, good morning. Good morning, Will. How did this come about? Well, uh, it came about, to begin at the beginning, um, we were approached in 2016 uh, to know if we'd agree to put a solar put solar panels on part of our land, and we did a deal with the company. Uh, we applied for planning permission to Offaly County Council. We had no problem there. Uh, Offaly County Council were very positive about it and granted us permission. And then there were delays of one sort or another, and we had to wait. The government sort of had to sign it off. Then it had to go to Europe. And then, just two years ago, there was a, um, an auction process called RES, which is the Renewable Auction, um, which is a means to get alternative energy companies to offer to provide power mm. at a competitive price. And our company, or the company that I did the deal with, called Upton, they were successful in that auction. So that's, that left that ready to go. And then the company got permission in principle to make a grid connection and had to lay down a large deposit for that reason. So that, that end of it is ready to go. And then this year, um, early this year, uh, the company expected to be ready to build and they are, our site would be called shovel ready is the term they use. Mm. And we were told building would take place during the summer and the whole job would be finished and energised by now. But often have found dreadful difficulties to get the final connection with ESB or Airgrid and the whole job is stalled. So that's where we stand at the moment. Drill into that a bit for us, David. What are the difficulties? Well, it's very hard to know. Uh, It's hard to get an answer from anybody. And I know the company, Opton, and just to fill you in there, Opton are a very big Danish company. They are involved in over 900 solar farms all over Europe and other parts of the world. So they're not not a Mickey Mouse operator. And they are very, very frustrated. I just had a call from during the week from a senior man in Opton from Denmark. And the way he put it, he is as frustrated as we are. Can't understand why there are such delays says this wouldn't happen in mainland Europe and went to the went so far as to contact the Danish ambassador here in Dublin oh, wow. for him for him to make representations to the government here to see if they can push this thing on. And this man Klaus told me he when he first came on board two years ago on the projects here in Ireland expected the whole job to be done and dusted in a few months. And he simply cannot understand why the situation is as it is. And of course, it's not just me, Will, because there are solar farms planned for all over Ireland, quite a number in the Midlands, and every one of them is stalled in the same way as ours. So there are landowners and farmers very, very frustrated and disappointed. Just on on your question as to what the real problem is, the answer is I don't know, uh, because it's very difficult, as I say, to get any response from Airgrid and DSB. But I know that Barry Cowan is aware of the difficulties in this area. And in fact, he raised it in the Dáil on Wednesday and he's been pursuing it. Do you get the sense from Obtom that they will be patient and wait or are they growing frustrated? Oh, they're very frustrated, Will. <coughs> and they assure me that they will wait uh, in the case of mine and three other 
solar farms that they have planned in the Midlands. But whether they will, I mean, they're not going to wait forever, obviously. Mm. And just to tell you the, the sort of money that's involved, they have €4 million euro worth of solar panels, which they brought in earlier in this year in, in the expectation that they would be up and running by now. And those solar panels are in storage in Cavan and costing a lot of money, obviously, to hold yeah, in storage. Course, yes. And, and they, they want those solar panels up and working. So will they wait? Uh, probably they won't wait forever. And just actually this very week, uh, and another very big renewable energy company, a Norwegian company, had planned to build wind farms off the coast of Fair, and they've pulled out. And there's been a lot of articles in the papers and interviews with other solar companies, or sorry, renewable energy companies, who are also very frustrated. And even if Optom proceed with your project, because obviously they've invested in it already and they don't want to yes. lose that, they may not wait forever, but they'll certainly no. think twice before exploring any new possibilities in Ireland if the experience proves to be so frustrating. So, the solution is what? Well, the solution is government action. And this is what frustrates me and, and annoys me and many others in in my position, because there seems to be very little action taking place on the part of the government. And for instance, in over the last few days, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about renewable energy and the climate thing and so on, and also about the new cap scheme and the reduction in farm incomes. And there's a big threat to farm incomes. So we've been told, farmers have been lectured, if you like, by government people and particularly members of the Green Party that we need to, and that, that there's no need for us to worry, if you like, and that we'll be able to go into renewables and forestry. And Tipa Hackett made a statement to that effect only this week in Port Leash. But here I am and I cannot get my renewable project up and running. And of course, you know the story with forestry. It's a disaster because farmers can't harvest their trees and plant trees and so on. So what I want to know is why the government, and in particular Eamon Ryan and Pippa Hackett, who are the people in charge of this area, why can they not make some action? Can they not, what uh, it very plainly, kick somebody's ass and, and smarten the job up? Well, we'll ask them. It's, well, do, it's, it's in Pippa Hackett's backyard, and I'm sure she has an interest in this area, so we will ask what the answer is. Um, do you have to yes. renew that planning permission? I'm just mindful, 2016, the clock is ticking. Yeah. It is, it is taking, yes, and the company is, is looking into that. Um, but that, I don't expect that that will be a difficulty. Um, you know, the, the whole difficulty is in the grid connection. But as you say, the, the very fact that Hopton have had so, and all these other companies, of course, I'm not speaking just for myself, as I say, it's, it's, it's for other people that are in the same position as me. But, you know, these, these, these companies, particularly the, the foreign ones coming in here, if they get such difficulty with all of the, the whole process, well, then they just won't come and they won't invest the money. And bear in mind that they are investing millions and millions in Ireland to make use of the, the, the wind and the solar and so on that's available here. And you see, we're being told all the time that we must diversify and we must change. But, as I said, no matter what direction we turn, there's delays and frustrations. David, I'm grateful you raised the issue. I don't know what the perspective of the ESB or AirGrid will be on this, but we'll ask them. Maybe there's an engineering yes. reason or a technical reason. I don't know. You'd imagine it certainly. wouldn't be unique to Ireland, certainly. But, David, I appreciate your call. Thank you. 
Okay, thank you, Will. Thank you. Bye-bye. David Connor from Clara in County Offaly. 2016, he was granted planning permission for a solar farm and he and his partner, Obtom, the Dutch company that wants to develop this, they're still waiting and don't know why. Some areas just have the best nicknames. There are loads of nicknames around Clombalogue, for instance. Hello to my good friend, Budgie. But Keith Lynham has been in touch from Wilker in Clara. And I think these are some of the best nicknames I've ever come across. So he would like to say a special hello to Pinky and the Brain, The Snack McManus, Blackie, Jobber McGrath, The Silver Pigeon, The Goat, Politics Ryan, and The Bull Gavigan, and indeed all the crew. And he wishes you the very, very best. Now, 23 minutes after 10. This time tomorrow, Saturday View with Liam Dumpleton. Liam, what have you got in store? Hi, Will. Yeah, it's a trip down memory lane on the programme tomorrow. A bit of nostalgia. Uh, and I think people love that because uh, it's for Tullamore and for maybe people in the Better Offaly area. Places that used to be in town long since gone. Places like Bulger Hotel, the Phoenix Arms, Spiders Nightclub, Captain Zooms, uh, the old Queen's Earth uh, Moorhill House Hotel. Places like Frank Sweeney's Clonamore Hotel, uh, the Cherry Blossom Boutique, the Sneakers Factory, Low Alpine. So places like that and old pubs as well. Rafters, the Murals, Bob Smith's, Annie Kelly's. Mm. Uh, the Offaly Inn, Characters, the Ritz Cinema, Grimes's Bar, uh, Lawless's, Lockery's. So yeah, it's going to be uh, a nice chance for people to give their memories. They can call in, they can text in, they can WhatsApp the show and uh, they can join us for a bit of nostalgia on tomorrow's programme. Right. Thank you. Thanks, Liam. Now, Saturday View, 10 to 11 tomorrow. Alrighty. Let's move to Port Leash. And there's been talk of pornography in County Hall. The diaspora mourning the Blue Bridge and eating ice cream in O'Sullivan's shop. Port Leash historian John Dunn has been taking Anne-Marie Kelly on a walk and talk around the town, which he has catalogued over the last number of years. And he's released the final part of his trilogy called The Maryborough Miracle. And he recounts what he calls the ordinary history of Port Leash about the ordinary people. Anne-Marie has been speaking with the author about porn on TV being raised at a town commission meeting back in the 1980s. Basically what happened there was uh, the town commission again, the good old town commission. Unfortunately, they were disbanded a couple of years ago. Oh no, more humour. Yep, and um, <laughs> it came up at a meeting that uh, a certain Commissioner McCormick said he was disgusted that I'm thinking of writing to the Director General of RTE some of the disgraceful stuff that was on television recently. So I wonder, Commissioner, yeah. well, what are you talking about, he said. What year are we talking, 60s, 70s? No, this is the 80s. This is the 80s, yeah. The 80s. Mr McCormick said, I'm talking about men and women in the nude. <laughs> Copulating, he says. <laughs> that word is just, oh... Okay, so and, um, so he brought this up at the town commission. He brought it up at a town commission meeting, <laughs> and uh, the other well, lads, of course. Row, is it? Well, that's what? interesting because the the response to this was, which I find incredible. I think it was Commissioner Jacob. His response was, "Are you referring to the kiss in Glen Row?" <laughs> no, he said. I'm talking about hard porn. So anyway, this went on and on and on, and, and the upshot was that the commissioners decided not to support Mr McCormick's notion or a motion of getting on to RTE and complaining about the, 
did you find out what uh, McCormick was referring to? Was it Bracken? No, I haven't. <laughs> I, I haven't a clue. Was it Bracken? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, Gabriel Byrne and the nip. I don't remember that. No. Unless he flicked onto Dynasty or something like that. Because in that time, I remember seeing hairy chested men on TV. Ah, but the difference between hairy chested men and men and women in the nude. <laughs> Copulating. <laughs> I'd love to have been at that, me There's a difference. that meeting. Yeah. <laughs> but just one thing I did want to mention, mm. Anne-Marie. The, the very first chapter in the book is called Home Thoughts from Abroad. Okay. And about two years ago, I put advertisements up on social media aimed at people who had left the town or living abroad or living anywhere but out of the town. And could you name one item that reminds you most of home? Mm -hmm. A kind of, a, what's the word I'm looking for, a kind of a cherished symbol, if you yeah, like, yeah. of home. And I got a great response. So man, I, I got a brilliant response. But the surprising thing was, I thought that the big port leash symbol, if you were abroad, would be a statue in the market square. Mm. No, and then no one mentioned that. Someone the said, train uh, station, I suppose. The train station was straight away. Yeah. It's the first one. Because of the huge wall, you know, I suppose that it's, that it's very iconic wall. in the town. Yeah, yeah, and someone else mentioned the Rocket on the Mace, that when they're coming, driving back from Dublin, when they see the Rocket on the Mace, they know they're home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, someone else mentioned... Uh, of course, the prison. <laughs> the prison, of course. Someone mentioned the road out of the town to Clenad. <laughs> and a place that cropped up twice... No, three times actually, was Paddy O'Sullivan's ice cream parlour ah. in Main Street. Now, now I see, I, I'm not a Portlaoise girl, so yeah. uh, but I'm saying, ah, uh, because isn't it brilliant, the simple stuff like that? Well, that's, again, that kind of concurs, kind of fits in with my whole attitude to doing this, like yeah, ordinary things, ordinary yeah. people. Do you remember that shop? Was I do, indeed. I remember, it was where Miscellany is now. Ah, And yes. I'm delighted to say... Yes that uh, it's still in the ownership of one of the Sullivan descendants, the Very family, good. which is a lovely thing. You yes. know, we had miscellany shop there for years, mm. and now we have miscellany cakes, which Very is good. the next a young lady, a lovely young lady, the next generation of the O'Sullivans. Uh -huh. And I remember it well. The big treat in our house was, if you were good, if you were very good, you were brought up to Sullivan's for a knickerbocker glory. <laughs> was there chewing gum in the middle of that? No. Not in Paddy Sullivan's, oh. no. <laughs> Maybe now, <laughs> certainly not in Paddy Sullivan's. It was just fruit and ice cream, pile upon pile oh, okay, upon pile. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Blue Bridge, did that uh, get mentioned? It did, for good <laughs> and better. You know, it's funny how when it was there, no one liked it. Yeah, and then it was gone. Uh, it was and like, it was gone. where do we meet? It's funny, we, be, we become nostalgic straight away. <laughs> well, you know? of course, it wasn't used. I suppose that was the whole comedy of it, wasn't it? That was it. I, I think I used it twice to take photographs from the top mm. of it, and that'll be it. Seems similar, yeah. yeah you you see, it's from a child's point of view, you see. That's the stuff. They're not going to remember the statues, you know, and the stuff that we think that with the market square. They're going to remember the symbols of being young. Aren't they? Oh, I think the whole thing, you know, uh, everything I do anyway it has to do with memory. Yeah. And, you know, it does not mean that memories, they're often fallacious, they're often 
may be totally wrong. But I don't think that's that, that important, to be honest with you. No, we love stories. I mean, this is all about telling stories, as, as, as my programme is as well. Absolutely. And finding out about old folklore and, I suppose, keeping it alive in this book and the books you've done before. You must have got that kind of response, though, from people when you do launch your books. Oh, well, you, know, you must get so many people coming up to you saying, John, I remember that thing you're talking you know, whatever it is. I have been so lucky, Anne-Marie, with the Portlaoise people have been brilliant to me. Absolutely, you know, people go on about, and I've always, I've often heard it said about Portlaoise is a very begrudging town and that. But in my experience, it most had a hundred percent support from people. Yeah. Both in telling the book, attending the launch, and coming up to me afterwards and you and see, thanking me for. Oh God, I've forgotten about that. Well, it's meticulous, you see, and it's also very good quality, John. I mean, I think sometimes I'm not trying to put down people who gather together local history books at all, but. This, particularly, you can pick this up in any part, as, as far as I'm concerned, of Ireland or the world. And they're just stories. Uh, but it's the way you do it, you see. As I said to you at the start of this interview, you piece it together through the years. The chronology kind yeah. of lends itself maybe to being a story. So this is the final part of your trilogy. The third and final part of the trilogy. John's new book, The Maryborough Miracle, will be launched next Tuesday... Donamay's Art Centre with a talk and a videotape and tickets are still available. Now, we are hoping to bring you that story of how five kittens were rescued and are lucky to be alive uh, thanks to the efforts of a Midlands shelter. That story hopefully coming up in the next couple of minutes. Next, though, COP in Glasgow. You've heard so much about climate change this week. Well, what are they actually doing over there? Still on the agenda today, we ask the Friday panel how the Leaving Cert could be made better. You might have strong views on that yourself. Also, can you afford the average home? Because if this prediction is right, you'll need 90 grand a year in income to do so. Not too many people, not too many households are at that level. Now, COP26 in Glasgow, which is being attended by Greta Thunberg, Leonardo DiCaprio, Mary Robinson. It's the UN's Climate Change Conference and a hundred political leaders went along to try and reach agreement on reducing greenhouse gas emissions and ultimately prevent the Earth from overheating. But what's actually happening there? Well, Midlands 103's Ellen Butler, away from... Her career as a journalist is a member of Youth World Ireland in Galway and it collaborates with World Vision to monitor local government commitments to climate. And she's attending in a private capacity as an observer. But she's been sharing how the uh, event works with Midlands 103's Robert Fahey. It's ironic that ever since we arrived here uh, on Wednesday, we actually have less of an idea of what's going on because uh, normally observers uh, would be allowed into the negotiations and to, to just watch the proceedings. And that's not actually happening this year, which is a bit problematic. There's not even TV screens up or anything. You can tune in via a video link, but um, like that, you know, anyone could do that from around the world. There's no benefit to us being here in terms of, of watching the proceedings. So that's disappointing. Um, but again, like I was saying, you know, we, we get the opportunity to meet hundreds and thousands of other people uh, around and um, 
you know, give the opportunity to meet them. But no, we 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 haven't bumped into Joe Biden or Boris Johnson yet. I was going to say the people who are involved, like we've seen all the big wigs, your Boris Johnsons, your Joe Bidens, Michal Martin is over there, Greta Thunberg is over there. Do you get that sense of grandeur when you're on the ground or are you going around like a, a busy bee getting all your own work done all the time? You know, everyone is milling around. Um, at this point, a lot of the world leaders have already left. But the likes of Greta, um, Leonardo DiCaprio, who I've yet to bump into, is apparently here somewhere. Um, it, it's not so much that we're separated or anything. Um, it's just that certain things are happening in different parts of the campus, so you're less likely to... To, you know, to see people or bump into them, everyone's kind of, it, it's extremely busy. Like, there's so much going on. We're even just glancing at the schedule of events um, at the moment and, you know, trying to pick something to go to and there's so many things taking place at the same time. Pretty much every country in the world, well, apart from China and Russia, are, are represented here. And, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of just whether it's formal meetings and seminars and presentations or just informal meeting in the corridor. A lot of work is getting done and, and you know, connections being made. So it's, it's very interesting to see it all in action. As someone who's working on the ground a lot with various different organisations, do you get a sense when you're over there that things are being achieved, deals are being done and progress is going to be made when all this is said and done? Yeah, a very good question. Um, it's, I suppose, there is there is that feeling that is it's just a talking shop, and at times you think that because even for example, with the climate action plan, it's it's being reported that the pledge that Michal Martin made the other day to reduce methane emissions by 30 percent by 2030, which he signed up to along with a whole load of other countries, isn't actually included in our climate action plan. So. That obviously means it was a pointless exercise. We're not actually going to implement it nationally. Um, so that kind of thing is disappointing. Um, so it's hard to know. You know, there's comparisons being made to Paris in 2015, which was so seminal and so, uh, you know, effective. Um, and then, you know, the, the Copenhagen COP, which was a, pretty much a, a flop. It was a, it was a failure. And there's worry that, you know, this is such a, a crucial moment in history to, to make and to to meet our ambitions. Uh, there's a lot of pressure, so it's hard to know at this stage, really. Uh, again, you know, a lot of a lot of focus is put on the, the world leaders and what they agree to, but that's not to say what their civil servants and diplomats and other NGOs and organisations are discussing in the background is important. So I think it's not a one until probably the end of the two weeks that we really get a full sense of how effective the whole thing has been. Um, but then there's also, in terms of our, our youth group, South Youth, um, we actually link up with uh, a similar group of young people out in Tanzania, uh, and we had hoped that they could join us in Glasgow and they haven't been able to. And uh, just with COVID and visas and everything, it's extremely complicated. So it, it, it kind of just proves that it isn't open to everyone. It's not totally accessible. Uh, if anything, it's probably, you know, mainly the global north and the Western world who are here. But um, it, it's just kind of a, an example of how, you know, not everyone is being included in the conversation either. How important is it for a youth group like Saudi and like others, to be able to network at such major events like this in, in terms of getting stuff done then back here in Ireland? 
well, massive. Um, like this is our first cop, so it's a bit of an overwhelming experience, and we're very new to it. But like we're not even 24 hours here, and we have had various different meetings. With um, we're kind of being coordinated by World Vision. We've met with Dr. Tara Shine. Um, we've we've met with um, Sinead Walsh, the Deputy Director General of Irish Aid. You know, and we've plenty more meetings to come. We were meeting with youth leaders in Kenya and in Samoa. So, like, like, we would never normally get the opportunity at all to even meet those people virtually because we're here literally on the ground in Glasgow and we've bumped into these people more or less. They're not even scheduled meetings. So it can't be underestimated how valuable it is to be here and to make those connections. And, you know, um, our our group, which I didn't actually explain, but basically we... we uh, monitor local government commitments on climate action and just make sure they're fulfilled. Um, the the lady we're speaking to from Kenya and even Tara Shine, who's a, a well-known Irish climate scientist who's based in Cork, they're both interested in taking kind of our model and expanding on it in their local areas. So, like, it's great for us to, to see that we could expand like that. And again, it probably wouldn't be possible to do that or make those connections when we're at home. And that's journalist Ellen Butler speaking with Robert Fahey. Uh, she's attending COP in a personal capacity and just giving you a flavour of what happens behind the scenes. Now, 083 30 10 103 on text and on WhatsApp. How about a different perspective on this? It was sent to me on WhatsApp uh, by a listener, an Australian journalist reacting to Greta Thunberg and indeed youth movements around the world uh, with a different take on climate change and what's causing it. To all the school kids going on strike for climate change, you're the first generation who've required air conditioning in every classroom. You want TV in every room and your classes are all computerised. You spend all day and night on ele- electronic devices. More than ever, you don't walk or ride bikes to school, but you arrive in caravans of private cars that choke suburban roads and worsen rush hour traffic. You're the biggest consumers of manufactured goods ever and update perfectly good, expensive luxury items to stay trendy. Your entertainment comes from electric devices. Furthermore, the people driving your protests are the same people who insist on artificially inflating the population growth through immigration, which increases the need for energy, manufacturing and transport. The more people we have, the more forest and bushland we clear. The more of the environment that's destroyed. How about this? Tell your teachers to switch off the aircon, walk or ride to school, switch off your devices and read a book, make a sandwich instead of buying manufactured fast food. No, none of this will happen because, the piece says, you selfish, badly educated, virtue signalling little turds inspired by the adults around you who crave a feeling of having a noble cause while they indulge themselves in Western luxury and unprecedented quality of life. Wake up, grow up, and shut up. I'm not sure if you would agree with those sentiments. It's uh, a different perspective, and everybody's entitled to their view. So, what is yours? 083 30 10 103 on text and on WhatsApp. Now, a listener in Burr is absolutely livid this morning because. She had four apple tarts ready to go into the oven and six pavlovas for a function taking place tonight. Tonight. And the electricity was cut off with no notice. It won't be back 
until three o'clock today. And she estimates she's at the loss of 200 euro. I don't know what the cause of that is, whether it was a preventable fault or not, um, but you can understand the frustration. Anne in Roscommon says it is a waste of time ringing the Revenue Commissioners about local property tax, and you did it. You were told to ring back. So ultimately you ended up going online using the Revenue website, which you were able to do, but you're not sure how somebody who was less internet savvy would manage. It's just gone a quarter to ten, excuse me, a quarter to eleven now. Next, that story about why five kittens are lucky to be alive thanks to a rescue here in the Midlands. Five kittens lucky to be alive thanks to a rescue that took place here in the Midlands. Let's find out exactly what happened. From Ronan Walsh, he's an animal welfare supervisor with the ISPCA. Give us the details, Ronan. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Will. How are you doing? Um, yes, yeah, so um, <laughs> just a few weeks ago, there was um, one of the guys was coming into into work and um, just happened to notice in the ditch beside beside our main gate from our main entrance off the main road um, a, a cat carrier and looked inside, stopped and looked inside because and. Um, Unfortunately, it's not the first time this has happened now, but uh, yeah, so we looked inside and there's five little kittens that have been in this box overnight and pouring rain, absolutely freezing cold and um, and soaking wet. Um, Goodness, what condition were they in, Ronan? Um, well, they were they were hungry and cold, like they were probably four to five weeks old. They were just at the at the point of where they would have been able to kind of feed by themselves. So then, but you know, they were definitely hungry anyway, and um, and not to mention, as I say, like, we were worried about hypothermia because they were they were they were freezing because in, you know, as with any creature, been out all night in that in that weather. Um, you know, this this um, container that they were brought in wasn't exactly waterproof, so they were, they were swimming in it inside, and they were you know, so we got to get them in, get them in and get them dried and warmed up as soon as we could. Well, lucky in, in a way, the timing had that been much longer, they probably would suffered uh, hypothermia. How did you nurse them back to health? Yeah, well, they were they were um, later that day. They were they were checked by the vets, just kind of for an overall health check. Um, they were put into a, a, a warm. We have um, what we we call them pods. It's kind of like the the <clears throat> the kennels for the, the cats and kittens here. They have like a, a heat mat underneath them, uh, under their bedding, and then also a red heat lamp on top of them. Um, kind of get them slowly feeding. <laughs> At first, like some of them still needed to be bottle fed and that as well. So that those some of our staff and volunteers had to get on board with that to um to help help get them get them eating and get them get them fed and get them back on the right road as well. And also the the worm treatments and stuff like that needed to, needed to be um administered as well. I should have stated, by the way, this was at your facility in Longford, and you said this has happened before. Uh, yeah, as I say, unfortunately, because people know who we are and where we are, occasionally people think that that's 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 acceptable to just leave an animal kind of out in the elements like that. So that, um, you know, if they'd come to us and told us like they had these kittens that they weren't able to manage, you know, we'd we'd have helped in some way. But I can, you know, and it's only you know. By chance that these were that they were a spotted and b that they were okay afterwards. And it's, um, you know we we did well with them to to get them as as healthy as they are now. And what's going to become of them? Um, well, at the moment they're 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 still recuperating. Really, they're still kind of um, they're still kind of you know they're they're 
growing. They're getting they're at the point now where they can probably get their their first vaccinations and that. So they're on the road to being rehomed anyway. So that's where that's where we're at at the moment. So in the next couple of weeks now we'll 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 be finding homes for these little guys. And um yeah, so I think like, it'll be a happy ending all round for them hopefully. Roland, grateful for your time and again if anybody wants to help with uh, ISPCA through uh, donations or volunteering or whatever what's the best way to find out more um well um you can go to it we're on we're on um facebook and instagram we also have our website ispca.ie all our contact details are on there for anything including rehoming and if you're interested in volunteering anything like that, any way that people can help donations etc is available through the website Ronan, keep up the good work. Best wishes to your team. Thanks for Thank taking the call. Government says there'll be more money in your pocket next year, but how much better off will you really be? Let's try and drill into that in a couple of minutes' time. Also, the Friday panel takes you through all that's been happening over the last week, including how the Leaving Cert might be improved. Some interesting suggestions already coming in on that, which we shall explore a little later. Now, I want you to meet a lady who is not impressed with her electricity supplier, Mary King in Burr. How are you today? I'm not too bad, no. <laughs> Calming down. I was about bit. to say, <laughs> yes, yes. You're a little cooler than when you sent that text first. Tell us about your oh, day I've, so um, far. Well, I, I was making apple tarts. And they're big ones. And my brother, my son has something going on and I made apple tarts. I had four big apple tarts in the oven, one ready to go in. And the power cuts off halfway through. Oh, no. I have other stuff to do for him. I have to go five miles out the road now to my sister. She cooked them for me. I have to go three miles out the other road to my other sister. My neighbour is putting stuff on her stove for me. So and no you, your neighbour has power? No, my, she has a range. Oh, I get you. Sorry, right. Okay. Yeah, and she'd, she'd put something on, on the top of the range for me. But we got no warning. They're quick enough to take the money off you, but the board gosh should have informed me because I'm with board gosh. And you mentioned Pavlovas in your message as well. What What are you doing with yeah, them? Yeah, they're for my son. He has a function going on. You're advertising them all week, actually. <laughs> Atkins Farm Machinery. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. And um, I, I have well, a load of other stuff. My sister is going to cook some of that out there. But, like, it's a complete... If I didn't have my sister there, I would have to throw that out. And half the country is hungry. And I would have to throw out over 70 euro worth of apple tarts alone. And I presume your sister is obviously accommodating, but um, yeah. you're, you're going to be going over and back and over and back now between different houses for the rest of the day, well, presumably. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll bring them out to her first, the tarts out to her, leave them there, come back and go out to my other sister, and we'll have to do the pavlova out there because I can't whip cream, obviously, and we'll have to cook other bits and pieces later on, but it'll be back at three o'clock to tell us, which in a way isn't too bad because it's... I don't need them until 7 o'clock this evening. But I just said, if I had somebody in this house on maybe oxygen on an airbed, where would I be going there? Or somebody on a heart monitor or something like that. They don't know that I have somebody with bad health. Did they give you a reason for the outage? No. Well, I presume it's because there's new houses built up around the corner. But they did go around to the houses of the people who are still with ESP. But she's with prepay power. I'm with Borgosh. They didn't dare to let us know. I don't know who to even blame for it. And I rang Borgosh, and there was a girl. I don't know who she was. She wasn't representing Borgosh, obviously. But she was saying apparently it's happened before. But as I said, it's not good enough. Well, I won't be going to Borgosh again anyhow. I can tell you that much. If that's what's what they're not going to let us know about what's happening. 
Uh, I'm trying to see Excuse on powercheck.ie if there's a fault in the area because obviously that might no, not be planned. No, they haven't turned off. No, this is... They haven't, there's they haven't no fault. Turned, they haven't turned off. Yeah. No. What part of the town are you in, Mary? I'm up um, the Tullamore side of Bar. And do you know how much of an area is affected? Well, I presume it's just our housing estate. I don't know because I'm, they're doing something, I'd say, with the new houses they've been building up there. So I presume that's that's all. I don't know what else to be honest like. The fire station is up there, but they wouldn't be affecting that. No, no. Look, it, it's not a fault. It's, it's, so it's obviously planned. I can understand your frustration. Look, give that yeah. event a plug, by the way, because hopefully it'll all go smoothly. Yeah, it's uh, a farm machine. We have an open day tomorrow for anyone who wants to, to call in. He'll have tea and coffee, and I'm making phones in the morning if I have electricity. <laughs> How's he going to look after you for all this, by the way? Oh, he's a good son. He's a good son. I, I think you're a better man. Uh, yeah, no, he isn't good to me. I give him that much. Mary, oh. Oh, I hope it's a big success. And look, thanks for bringing our attention to that. Thank you very much. That's Mary King from Burr. Now, Finnegale says a range of new tax measures will introduce. Uh, cuts to the cost of living for most people next year. They crunch the numbers at about four hundred and fifteen euro. Junior Minister Peter Burke from Mullingar says the Finance Bill 2021 will help roughly 135,000 workers by increasing the minimum wage, but also providing up to €30,000 to prospective homeowners through an enhanced help to buy scheme. So those are the headlines they want to emphasise. Accountant John McCann from MCM in Tullamore says... This won't mitigate the expense of Brexit or COVID or rising energy costs. And he says the idea that new legislation will reduce the cost of living and put money in your pocket is absolute nonsense. The initial way I view this is that there's certainly some improvements within the budget uh, in that um, bans have been increased, um, very small credits have been increased. And this in itself on the face of it would look as if anybody that's working will, will, will have more money in their pockets. There's no question about that. How and ever, um, I think this is done with an awful lot of um, blust, and I don't think they're really telling the truth of the matter. The problem is that the cost of living is, is, is going through the roof, and whether it's down to Brexit or whether it's down to COVID, um, and these are things that are to some extent outside government control. Um, for example, let's say any building materials, uh, they've all gone through the roof. You need to get anything done at home, repairs to your, your, your boiler, um, foodstuffs, etc., etc. So, you know, the idea that the government are selling that this is going to uh, reduce the cost of living and that people are going to have more money in their pockets is an absolute nonsense. So, you know, I think that's something we all must be very, very aware of. It is reasonable to say that some of this is outside the government control, but they're quite happy to lash huge amounts of, of, of carbon levy, levies on, on, on carbon. And at the moment, we don't have a decent alternative replacement. So if you take somebody that lives in, let's say, Port Leash and is working in Mullingar, or Tullamore and working in Mullingar, there's no transport to get to those places. So they have to have their car. So the cost of anybody getting up to work and, and, and getting out of the bed and going and do a day's work, are, are, you know, they've gone through the roof. And this is government-driven. So what I would really say is that I think you have to read it very carefully, and um, it's it's and what I'm a little bit disappointed is that like Peter Peter Burke is a chartered accountant, and I would expect him to know a little bit better in terms of finance. That at the end of the day, the way things are going to be certainly for 21, um, 
people are going to have less money in their pocket and in 22 the same thing is going is going to happen and if they really want to put more money in their pocket they have to actually start looking at how the state is run and reducing the cost of running the state and therefore taxing us and only when that's done will they get to the point where people will have more money in their pockets they'll have an incentive to work because at the moment there's no incentive for anyone to work so look that's my my quick perception of Yeah, it. just to follow up with you, just on that last point particularly, you're saying they need to have a look at how the cost of how the state is run. Yes. What areas should they be focusing on? <clears throat> well, if you look at it very simple, during Bertie's time, um, God love us, am I, and I'd be subject to being maybe a couple of million, a billion out, but my understanding is that the state costs somewhere in the region of about 57, 58 billion to run. Uh, when it comes to the current budget, I think they're talking about 105 billion. Now, where in the name of God is the money gone? And what are they doing with it? And I think this is where they have to look at it. And if we really want to focus on, on uh, any area, I can think you can take any area within the public services and get somebody to look at that from the outside and they'll show you how to actually cut the cost of running it without affecting the level of service. And it's, just, it's a case of introducing and injecting accountability for everything that's done for every organisation. And there are many organisations that we're paying for through our taxes that are really producing nothing. You know, so, look, there are the, a the couple of the points that make without getting too, you know, too much into depth of anything. But that certainly is the principle, to me, that needs to be put in place. Because if you want to get people to work in the morning, get out of bed, pay an extortionate amount of tax, because taking 50% of people's money is just not on uh, above the, the, the living wage. Uh, that's no incentive to get up and do anything. So the projected 1400, sorry, €415 Euro that people are going to save annually, annually on that, that's not going to come close to reducing the level of inflation that is occurring in, in Ireland at the moment for things like the cost of fuel, the cost of running your car to get to work in the morning. Yeah, and the cost of your electricity, and the cost of um, pretty well anything you can think of, and particularly things that are imported. Now, I think it's reasonable to say that there is um, a false sense of, 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 of inflation because there's lots of reasons that are being used uh, via COVID and all that sort of thing for stuff that's coming from China. But uh, And, and it's said that... Uh, costs should begin to stabilise. But I'm pretty sure, Joe, if we, if we put a fiver on the desk or a tenner on the desk or even the 415 that our, our good friends are talking about, they, the prices won't come back. And the one thing that's very interesting is that I note and uh, nothing has been done for childcare. Absolutely nothing. There's a mm-hmm. bit of old waffle there. They're going to support the childcare industry. It's still an extraordinary amount of money. Why aren't they giving tax breaks to get people who get out of bed and work if they have to put their children into uh, childcare? Because it's got to the point here that if you've got a couple working, and we take a couple and who have, let's say, one or two children, the cost of childcare is the same as a mortgage. So there's absolutely no incentive. And incentivization is the one thing that succeeded and brought this country out of the absolute depths of poverty to relative wealth. It was get up, work, be reasonably well paid, take a reasonable amount of money home. That's not happening. And it can't happen under the current measures. So, look, that's, that'll be my observation for mm-hmm. what it's worth. Now, how you actually do it and how the detail of how you do it is another day's work. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's the question that's really being asked because I think that'll be a much, much longer and you're going to make mistakes, but certainly the way it's going forward, I don't believe it's going to get better for people. That's John McCann from MCM Accounting in Tullamore. So, the government tells you one thing, he's not convinced. What do you reckon? Will you feel better off next year or are you squirreling the money away for that rainy day? Friday morning. Hope you're in good form.
still on the agenda today. Cyber flashing could soon be illegal in the UK. What exactly is cyber flashing? It's a new term on me. And here's one for you, because we're going to talk with our Friday panel about climate change. It's been the dominating issue of the week. But let's ask this question, not alone of our guests, but answer this yourself. What will you do without? Or what are you willing to pay more for in order to protect the planet? That's not an easy one to answer. What are you prepared to pay more for? Or what will you do without in order to protect the planet? Chew on that one. Tell me what you think. Now, the Midlands Today Friday panel. Leash's favourite station. Midlands 183. And let's meet our Friday panel. And today, first, Derek Martin of Martin Engineering Consultancy Services in County Offaly. I think you'll have lots to say on the subject of climate change and <laughs> retrofitting and so on. Good morning. That's, good morning, Will. Uh, absolutely, yes. Um, it's kind of my, my lifeblood at the moment. I've, I've set up a company there just trying to look at the uh, carbon tax and uh, reducing the homeowner's um, carbon footprint. So, yes, there's a, there's a fair bit in it. <laughs> if that involves reducing the cost, I think you'll be a popular man. Let's also say hello to Dennis Rowan, who is an industrial relations consultant and he's always flying the flag for Ballina Howan. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Will. How are you? Very well, thank you. And hello as well to Louise Coughlin. And Louise is somebody we've talked to on the programme many times and it's been a rough year with the loss of Granny Nancy. How are you holding up, Louise? Uh, good morning, Will. Uh, holding up is, is a good definition of how I'm doing, yeah, and how the family are doing. We're getting there day by day. You know, like for anyone, for grief is something that, that pops into all our houses at times, and we just have to cope and find a way out. But I, I miss her. I'm sitting here in her black chair, um, where we talk to you many times, Will, and Dan Marie as well, of course, on Midlands. So it's, um, it's a different moment in my life being here on my own. Indeed, indeed. Well, look, our thoughts are with you. Uh, and it's a process, not an event. So take take the good times and the bad. Now, let's, I suppose, unpack everything that happened this week. And if there was a single issue dominating, it was climate change. And most recently, the government publishing its 450 plus different actions in the latest plan. And I pose the question to listeners and the texts are still coming in, but we'll go to you, Martin, first. What are you prepared to do without or pay more for in order to save the planet? That's that's a fairly um, it's a fairly big question. Like the, what you're expected to do without is um, revenue, um, your your disposable income. What you're expected to do is to increase your uh, homes to a, a certain standard, to introduce new renewable technologies into your home, um, to reduce your 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 travel. Um, but unfortunately, the, the the infrastructure isn't there to, to to support that. It's basically the jobs are are not. Uh, local, um, so you have to travel. The, the the homes basically, one million and nineteen thousand homes were built pre nineteen ninety one before regulation. So they need upgrading. They need supporting. Um, the people who live in them need support to try and um in uh, refit their their homes and and bring it to an energy standard that uh, they don't lose heat. Um, the, how much the, will that cost? For the average pre nineteen ninety house, for the average pre nineteen ninety house, you're looking at basically um, re- increasing the, the the 
the um, U-values of the walls. So you're talking about external uh, insulation. It can cost anything up to about 16,000 euros. And there's a grant for about three and a half, four thousand, depending on the, okay. the the quantity. So you have to find the line share yourself. You have to find the line share, and that 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 goes across the bo- the, the board with everything that you um, in, envisage. Like if you're looking at solar PV, you're looking at solar thermal, you're looking at um, you know a, any form of um, uh, uh, renewable energies costs a, a roughly about ninety percent or eighty percent more than the grant is, mm. will avail. Uh, and similar in transport as well, electric cars and plug-in hybrids. They've, I know the grants keep moving and changing, but generally they never covered. Uh, certainly, only a small percentage at best of of what the total cost was. Transport's an area, agriculture is an area, and so on. But you personally, what are you prepared to either do without or make more for? Do without, basically. Um, like it's it's. Unfortunately, because the public transport um, isn't available around the locality of, of the Midlands, we don't have that that opportunity of jumping on public transport, jumping on a bus. Could take a train to Dublin, but then I have to get a taxi to where I need to be. Could take a um, a, a train to Cork or Galway. Same same issue applies. Um, you know the the electric cars. One thing we we need to be uh, made sure of as well with the electric cars. When we built our houses, the kilovolt uh, cable size for our house was a certain quanti- quantity. If you were adding an, in an electric um, charging point, that's going to increase and potentially put it above the um, availability of your of your power supply into your home. That doesn't seem to be um, prevalent at the moment in the documentation that I'm reading. That you need to be uh, very careful of the the actual kilowatt rating mm. of the cable size that's going into your home versus the load that's on your home at the moment versus the load that's going to increase with the charge in your car. I'm not hearing a lot that you personally can change. Are I, you prepared to pay more for fuel then in the interim? Uh, when, when you say pay more from fuel, for the last 10 years we've been hit with a carbon tax which has generated 494 million last year in the in, into the Exchequer. We've, we've also been um, challenged with uh, um, an ETS charge which is the um, emissions trading st- um, uh, scheme which cost uh, the Irish taxpayer 200 million um, I think I've done enough <laughs> at the moment basically as regards what I'm what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to develop a situation where when we when we go for energy uh, solutions we actually size them correctly we get what we're paying for we see a payback for that and we actually are able to quantify as to how much it's going to save us versus how much it's going to cost us um, and to make sure that it, it, it's actually adequately um, um, uh, quantified. The, the the reason why I sort of initially set up this um, was back in 2007, I was at a trade show and I remember a managing director of a of a, 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 a renewable energy company telling a lady that she can absolutely heat her house with solar thermal um, uh, panels. Now, solar thermal panels are brilliant for heating water, heating hot water, um, but when you need your heat, um, is during the winter, which has the least amount of sunshine, least amount mm. of UV light, and therefore the least amount of uh, energy uh, generated by your PV panels. But literally all he wanted was a signature on the bottom of the dot. Yeah. To say. Uh, look, overselling, I'm sure, has been a, a, a real sharp practice in the industry and the lifetime of solar panels as well is something that perhaps isn't emphasised and trying to get a return on your investment is easier said than done. Absolutely. Um, Louise, 
your lifestyle, I imagine, somewhat different to Martin's. Have you made changes? Are you willing to make changes? Absolutely. Um, I'm I'm giggling to myself a little bit, Will, because I'm sitting in Granny's house and what's beside me, honey? Um, Two big buckets of turf. Don't tell (laughs) anyone. I have turf here. Um, But I mean, I am willing to make changes. I think it's important we all approach it positively and proactively. But I think, you know, an important word has to be brought in is balance. You know, we can talk a lot of talk, but it's important to engage with people in a way that they're able financially, as mentioned just there, to actually make these changes and then realistically be looking forward to how we're going to do it like it's great to have plans we know this we can we can talk till the cows come home and the cows are well included in this picture of course as well but it's you know engaging with people on the ground is important and then not overwhelming them i feel a bit like overwhelmed by climate change at the moment obviously with cop 26 taking place but sometimes we can have this big drive and then it just goes underground and of course people have real problems going on in their houses never mind heating you know um we're all trying to survive and 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 go from week to week in many ways after covid or are we still in covid i'm not even sure anymore i'm all don't mention that word that. Let's, let's try and avoid it i know i know but it, it but it's kind of i said to myself last night there's a lot of seas going on you know covid and climate are kind of taking over our mental space at the moment focus in, on christmas you know. instead that's ah, good one well yes the focus on, are we allowed christmas we're allowed to enjoy it aren't we uh, it's green christmas trees but um yeah i'm willing to make the changes of course but they have to be thought out long term you know Electric cars are a great idea, but I'm nearly a bigger fan of hybrid because long term, will we have all these infrastructures in place? Like what happens if the climate turned on its head in in five years and all of a sudden we have all these houses um, changed over? And actually, it's granny's words here to me. She said, I think they're mad taking all the fireplaces out. And I said, why do you think that? And she said, well, what happens if, you know, like even if you pull out Wi-Fi at the moment, which we've seen happen, how apps and companies can crash? You know, so put electricity, electricity really expensive. And then then one night it all plugs out on us. And then where are we? So I'm a big believer in having backup plans and moving slowly towards a goal, but making sure you have the right steps in place for all of us. Like, I mean, yeah, it's if, great if, to yeah, have I, I agree on, on redundancy if something goes wrong, certainly. Um, can I just put to you as well some comments from listeners that we've seen 400 pli- private jets arrive in Glasgow to ferry world leaders to the conference and there's a question of, well, are you not going to lead by example? But then again, if uh, you know the Prime Minister of Australia, for instance, had to trek by land or ferry and was out of the country for a week or two, people would be moaning then. So practical reality competes with aspiration sometimes. Dennis, what's your take on it? And again, let's bring it back to brass tacks and you personally. What will you pay more for? What will you do without? Well, I suppose certainly what 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 I want to do is to contribute to the whole reduction in global warming. Uh, and I'm prepared to do that where I see a tangible, I suppose, result. And that's in terms of home heating and home insulation. And I think we all look at that. But there's an issue around about that, uh, as has been identified already, and that's the whole question of cost. Uh, how, how do we do that within the limits of the income that people have? I mean, there's little point in talking to somebody who's on a minimum wage and living in a house and paying a mortgage, telling them to have to retrofit 
and, and saying to them it's going to cost 12, 14, 16, 18,000. Where are they going to find that money from? Uh, and I think it's a question of ha- government have identified the issues, but they haven't identified the solutions. And therein lies the problem. Mm. But you know what you the solution a, is? A, sim- if you're a simple example. A simple example. Grants, Dennis, then that has Sorry? to come. If, if grants are to be increased, the budget for helping those people you've identified, then that ultimately has to come out of taxes. And that's the it political does. issue, isn't it? They don't want to turn around it, and say it, we're it going is. to pay more for and, this. And I think when it comes to political decisions, this is where we're going to see uh, the shortfall, to be quite honest with you. Because uh, if we look at, and I don't want to delve into this particular area, but if we look at the whole issue of water and water quality, and we saw the the the, the, the generation of the, the ire of people, as it were, uh, around that particular model when it was being debated and discussed a couple of years ago. But I think it's, it's a question of, uh, and the Taoiseach said during, during the week that Ireland would play its part in reducing methane emissions by 30 percent but then he qualified that by saying that that's a global 30 percent it's not necessarily it doesn't necessarily mean that ireland will reduce its emissions by 30 percent let me give you another figure right uh over the last decade between 2009 and 2019 european uh methane gas emissions reduced by approximately i think it was 12 percent while ireland's methane gas emissions increased by 25%. Now, there's something wrong there. Give you another statistics. We closed down peat power stations and we stopped uh, we stopped milling peat on Irish bogs last year. And what do we do then in order to satisfy the market? We import peat from Latvia. Now, it's the one, it's the one global society that we're dealing with, but we have one law for one country and we have another law for, for, for us. I don't have a problem in playing my part, but I'm not going to. I, I'm going to have a great difficulty in playing my part while I see others are 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 floating the thing. There is approximately 100 new coal-fired power stations being commissioned across the world as we speak, and we say that 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 coal is it, it's it's a dirty source of energy. So why is that happening, or why are countries allowed to do that? It's aspirational. A lot of it. If we look at what happened with the Paris Accord and everybody signed up to the Paris Accord and then suddenly the Americans elected Mr. Trump. And what does Mr. Trump do? Pulls the button and the plug on the whole lot of it and walks away from the from, from the accord. And while you have countries been in a position to, to, to be allowed to do that, I think we're going to have problems. So yeah, it's Joe not Biden just on an, on, on, on an individual that. level. It's on, a, it's, 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 it's on a global level we need to be realistic about it as well. Yeah, there are many comments actually backing up what you just said about uh, methane increasing here in Ireland for the last few years, Dennis, because farmers were encouraged, dairy in particular, to invest yeah. and to grow their herds because milk quotas were being relaxed and now they're being told, oh, oh you shouldn't do this because it's bad for the planet. Uh, another Correct. point being made here, we were encouraged to buy diesel cars 12 years ago because we were told they were cleaner and greener. That turned out to be a fallacy and there's a doubt in, as to the competence of the information being given. Let's not dwell, because there are other stories we want to get to. And the Leaving Cert, for instance, to be reformed, not for the first time we've had this conversation, but if you were to make it better, how? What changes would the panel suggest? Let's get to that. Now, the Midlands Today Friday panel. Offaly's favourite station, Midlands 183. Now, 
Once again, to introduce our Friday panel, Dennis Rowan is an independent industrial relations consultant from Ballinahown in County West Mees. Derek Martin of Martin Engineering Consultancy Services in County Offaly. Louise Coughlin as well. Not sure what title to give you, communicator, caregiver. Um, oh, chancer. Chancer. I, your word, <laughs> not mine. Chancer. Yeah, no, um... I suppose I'm I'm really known for taking care of uh, the oldest woman in Ireland's granny Nancy. So I will stay by that title and be very proud of it for uh, for as long as I have her in my heart. I'm sure. What did you study for in the leaving cert though? What was plan A? Uh, plan A was I didn't know what to do. And God, this is a perfect topic actually. I didn't know what to do with my life. And I of course um, defaulted to an arts degree um, and went down that road unsure really of what what I was doing there only that I was in college and I felt that's where I should be and I finished that and I I did get out the other side of it and then I took a few years uh, doing different jobs but I ended up doing what I always felt I should have done to start with but your confidence leads you to being lost for a while I did a postgrad in tv and radio um, up in in Minute in St Pat's and that definitely led me into where I felt most comfortable which was communicating and chatting with people and um, but I, my road, my hats have changed a lot, Will, you know, over the last 10 or 15 years. And to, I, I would say that makes me a greater person for changing and moving jobs and trying different roles. Indeed. But, and, and sometimes life experience is what puts the real shape on us all. But if you were to fault the leaving cert for leaving you ill-equipped in some way or in some skill, what would it be? It would be that... You, I, I, for me personally, I found myself doing exactly what a lot of people do, which is you go through the school system to no fault of its own and um, learning things off, not knowing why you're learning them. I always say, you know, I, I in French when I was being taught French, I didn't know why I was being taught French. It wasn't until like 10 years later when I was in Paris going, I can't speak a word because I actually had learnt off. But you know the you know my all the words yeah or the grammatical exams, structures or whatever actually, yeah yeah life experience will is key and I think that might be the change that they need to look at with the leaving cert we need to be bringing people in to inspire students to what road they need to go you know bringing people from outside in teachers of life as well as teachers in the classroom you know and maybe turn those chairs in in the classroom around you know maybe they shouldn't all be facing up maybe we should be in circular kind of teaching and I, I, I watched a TED talk recently and it was it was brilliant it, it was a guy he was um, a German and he mentioned that he traveled schools and what he did he introduced that he turned the chairs around into a circle position rather than facing forward and he brought in the principal and he got her to sit in the middle mm-hmm. or he him or her and he got the class to ask the principal questions now there can be personal questions of why don't you like me or you know why did you become a teacher or a principal and it was really interesting because the students got to know the principal on a personal level rather than being that person who you got drawn into their their room when you were after doing wrong because i could even say that for myself going through school you didn't really know the principal it was just a person that you really didn't want to engage with because you knew you were in trouble and what he was saying is what he went on to do then is he brought different people in and uh, from different walks of life and what the what he saw it was um an increase in the the child's development of what they wanted to do with their life and that's definitely something I was missing. I just 
you know, I didn't know where I wanted mm. to go. But, but I, I suppose I what that exercise achieved, Louise, is it showed how the skills of school could be applied in later life. It made them more relevant, perhaps. Yeah, and sure, Will, isn't that what it's all about? Isn't every day a school day for us all? I remember you know, being like, an awkward pupil in uh, maths in Leaving Cert and asking Pat O'Sullivan, uh, why are we learning about these equations? And the only answer he could give me was launching uh, rockets to Mars. And I thought, well, I'm unlikely in my lifetime to do that. Uh, well, I haven't yet, anyway. Um, let's get your impression on this, Derek, because... The reason we're having the conversation, the National Council for Curriculum and Assessment is going to publish proposals soon about how the Leaving Cert can be reformed. The higher education minister was before an Oireachtas committee this week. He was talking about the terminal exam, trying to move away from that a bit at different subjects that might be introduced, particularly in the area of financial literacy. And um, he, he talked about confidence as well. But again, your own experience of the Leaving Cert and how I suppose what it did well, what it didn't do so well, in your opinion. Yeah, um, my experience was was way back in 1990 when, uh, uh, to be honest, I was I hadn't got a clue of what I was wanting to do. I had no information, no knowledge, no no detail. Um, I didn't pay attention. I probably disrupted the class. And I have to apologise about the, to the graduation class in 1990 in Tullamore Vocational School for that uh, situation because <laughs> uh, I probably uh, dropped them a few points, but. Um, the, when I came out of school, again, no idea, absolutely no idea. Um, I, like, I do agree that the Leave Insert has to be reformed. I'm doing exams. I've, I've just finished exams in my master's. Like, I've, I spent a lot of time finding out what I wanted to do. Then I started studying. Um, I finished my master's at 49 years of age, um, basically, and I'm, I'm reiterating to my son t- time and time again, do it now, get it done, um, get your education out of the way so that you can actually uh, focus on your life. Um, I would reiterate what Louise just mentioned there as well. We we focus uh, every single thing that we do for six sixteen years in school to one exam on a on a a, a June afternoon, and our our futures are dependent on that exam. Uh, I've seen people go through DIT College in Dublin who actually came in with all the points and then decided that they hated engineering, they don't want to do it. They don't, they, they, they never knew what it entailed and they're not interested. Um, so like, I, I would agree with uh, some form of continuous assessment um, throughout the, the, the lifespan of the child. Um, more engagement, more real subjects, like, you know, do they know what a tracker mortgage is? Um, you know, do they, do they understand uh, what engineering engineers do or what architects do or what, um, how to get into radio, how to get into media, um, all those pertinent things that these people are actually find out when they go to college, spend four years and realise, oh, I don't want to do this for the rest, next 40 years or 45 years. Um, that would be my take on it, that, that the, the Leaving Cert definitely does need to be reformed. I think the, the teachers have so much to, to, to offer, uh, so much to give, and um, basically they're just uh, spieling out a, a curriculum every year, mm. year after year. Well, if you could see all the texts and distill them down, continuous assessment appears in most <laughs> of them rather than that final terminal exam, during which you could have an off day and it, it will throw you. Dennis, again, what does it do well? Where does it fall short? Uh, I think the latter would be the easier question to answer rather than where where does it do well? Uh, I've had an issue with it since my own days in in school and I probably have the benefit of 
let's say a few added years on the rest of you from this perspective. Uh, I, I had three different careers over my working life. Uh, I started out in construction, having studied construction studies and the AIT it was then known in Athlone. And then I moved on to the energy sector and I eventually through, I suppose, an accident ended up uh, in working in human resources and industrial relations. So I hadn't a clue when I did my leaving cert what I wanted to do, not a notion. Uh, and what, what happened kind of happened by default rather than by design, as it were, <clears throat> in terms of, of, of where where I eventually worked. I, I think there's, there's more of a need nowadays, and there's a lot of focus, I think, and always has been on on, on, on the academic careers. I think Irish people have, have a happy knack of being very good at learning trades and 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 developing their 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 skills in that particular area and that that in itself then can lead on to 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 an academic uh, let's say study i i think to, to a large extent youngsters nowadays have more of an option than people of my generation had from the point of view that if you, if you made a bag for your leaving cert you were done for you couldn't the only thing you could do was possibly do a repeat and if you failed to repeat you were that was it you were consigned to a life of misery in an awful lot of cases. But fortunately, the system has somewhat changed. And this is the good point, that you now have lifelong learning. And as, as, as Derek has said, he did his master's of 49 years of age. Uh, people now have the opportunity to do that, where they can, they can, they can learn something new uh, in terms of skills or upgrade in the particular skill that they have uh, on an ongoing basis. And I think that's, that's, that's what we need to look at as to how we can make that happen for people rather than saying to them, uh, we, we need to change the leave insert here or we need to change the leave insert there. I do take the point that Derek made as well in terms of, and Louise made it, uh, bringing people in who have particular skills in particular areas. I remember, just as an example, the religious coming into the school and tell us why we should join the priesthood or the brothers back in, I'm talking about the mid-60s, right? Did we have anybody come in from industry saying, this is what you need to do, this is what you will be doing as an engineer? We didn't, because in fairness, the Catholic Church had a grip on the education system at that time, that really they were the only ones that were allowed in. So I, I think we need to expand and we need to broaden that in terms of showing people what's out there and showcase them. And I think even as communities, we can do that a little bit better ourselves as well. Uh, and I'm toying toy with an idea at the moment in terms of bringing people from different disciplines in, in into a local community and allowing them to address youngsters of leaving cert age or indeed in their early 20s and say, look, these are the possibilities that are out there for you. I think that's where the educational mm. system fails. We talk about career guidance teachers how can a career guidance teacher with respect to him or her have a handle on all of the different disciplines that are out there with the best of respect to them they don't it's as simple as that and I think one other the, point the, by the, the way that careers guidance teachers would say in their defence many of them were cut back on and placed back into yes, regular classrooms yeah, yeah, yeah. again yeah, I'm not faulting them I'm not faulting so them but, well, yeah. I'm just saying they can't have they can't be all things to all people and I think the best way to do it is to bring people in from different dis disciplines and careers and say, well, this is what this career has offered me. Maybe it's not for you. Listen to somebody else. Maybe that's for you. I think that's where the leaving cert falls down. And that's where I certainly, I felt short or I fell short with regards to what I wanted to do 
in, in a particular life. I was fortunate in that I eventually found my niche in the market, as it were, in terms of where I, I could earn a living and where I could be employed and where I enjoyed doing what I was doing. Well, you'll be relieved, guys, that we've run out of time and can't talk about cyber flashing. Because I, I know you were just so anxious to raise the subject. Uh, but let's say thanks to our panel, Dennis Rowan, an independent industrial relations consultant from Balnahound, Derek Martin of Martin Engineering Consultancy Services in County Offaly, and Louise Coughlin, who we know so fondly for the many stories of Granny Nancy over the years. Best wishes to you all. Have a great weekend. Thanks very much, Will. Thank you. And to Sinead and Kaylee for putting the programme together to you for your company. We'll chat Monday morning from nine. Take care. Bye-bye.